If you turn, if if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to uh, Matthew chapter one. But if not, our text is well, simple one and a memorable one. So I suspect you perhaps will have memorized it already. The text is Matthew one and verse twenty-three. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew is, um, is quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah 7.14. And Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, there's debate about who... This might refer to in Isaiah's day, but there's no question at all that uh, ultimately it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. And we want to think tonight about the significance of the name Emmanuel. The fundamental question for us tonight is, who is Jesus? Who is this one? Who came? And uh, Isaiah's answer and Matthew's answer is that he is Emmanuel. And of course, that name means God with us. And uh, we want to try and understand that and uh, unpack that a little bit, unwrap it, take it out of the box and, and gaze at it from different angles so that we might truly appreciate that this is not a small thing. This is no light thing to consider. This is monumental that Jesus is God with us. When we think about it, we see at least two things. We see the wonder of his person. And then we see the wonder of his presence. He is God with us. Think for a minute then about the wonder of his person. You probably have no idea who German Titov is. He uh, was a Russian cosmonaut. And in 1961, he was the second cosmonaut to uh, circle the earth came back safely to the earth and appeared at the World's Fair. And among other things, he said, given the fact that he was an atheist and representing godless atheism, he said, "Um, I was up in space and I looked for God and he wasn't there. Some said, if you had stepped outside of the spaceship, uh, you would have seen him. He didn't have to go to space to look for God. He could have looked in Bethlehem. Because there in Bethlehem and there in a manger was God. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. You'll call him Emmanuel. He is God with us. And when you look at him, 
you marvel. Because among other things, you see his existence. You're astonished at his existence because this child, much later on, when he has grown, he will speak to the religious leaders of his day. And he would say, before Abraham was, I am. And in saying that, he claims the name that all Jews knew was the name of God, the I Am, a name that means that God simply exists. He doesn't come into being. He was and is and always will be. He doesn't appear on the scene. There was no before for God. He always simply is. He always exists. And what our Lord Jesus is saying is, that he simply is. And what he's saying is that before Bethlehem, I was there. He's saying that before the world existed, I was there. He's saying that when there was just God, I was there. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus always existed. We read in Colossians, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Everything you see around you came into being. But Jesus was there before that. Micah says His goings forth are from long ago. A study in understatement. We read in John 17, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What man can say that? He had glory with the Father before the world was. He also then says in Revelation I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There was a heretic in the mid-200s and early 300s. His name was Arius, and he was a false teacher. Every generation has known such. He said, with reference to Jesus, he said, there was once... When he was not. There was once when he was not. Uh, That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit. The Bible says in the beginning, Jesus was there. And so, were you to be there in Bethlehem, and were you to gaze into the crib, you would see one there who had always existed. It's the wonder of his person. You think about his existence. And then you think about his wisdom. His wisdom. We don't particularly think of newborn infants as being wise, but this is no ordinary newborn infant. Later on, the Apostle Paul will say with reference to Jesus, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the disciples would also later say, Lord, now we know that you know 
everything. Now, people think they know everything. And especially uh, highly educated people think they know everything. And especially people with all kinds of letters after their name think that they know everything. And especially people who teach in universities and educate the ignorant masses, they think they know everything. A man by the name of Peter Atkins, he's at Oxford University, and especially people perhaps at Oxford and Cambridge think that they know everything. He said this, said uh, Professor Peter Atkins, he said, I, I'm on the brink of understanding everything. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it's hard to read that without giggling. Let me try again. I'm on, the br- <laughs> I'm on the brink of understanding everything, and I commend you to use your brains. Because your brains are the most wonderful instrument in the universe. And through your brains, you will see that you can do without God. There is no, no necessity for God because science can explain everything. He's training young, fertile minds at Oxford. The truth is that people know next to nothing of any great significance. There's another professor. He's a professor of genetics at the University of London, Professor Stephen Jones. More accurate. He says, science is the art of the uncertain. If you study the history of science, you know that they create a, a worldview, and then someone comes along and says, no, 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 no. This is it. And then someone else comes along and says, no, no, no. This is it. Science, he says, is the art of the uncertain. And then a man by the name of Sir John Eccles, who was a Nobel Prize winner uh, in the area of uh, brain research. And he says, science cannot explain the existence of each of us as a unique self. There is much that, now this is me, there is much that science offers us and much that it offers that enhances life in this world and for which we ought to be thankful. But in terms of these questions, they cannot uh, speak to them. He says, science cannot explain the existence of each of us as a unique self, nor can it answer such fundamental questions as, who am I? How did I come to be? What's the purpose of life? What happens after death? These are mysteries beyond science. And these are things beyond us. These are things that we cannot answer. And the baby in the manger knows everything. The child in the cradle is the embodiment of wisdom. And were you to look into the cradle, you'd know that there lies wisdom incarnate. And, thank God, he's written it down for us in his book. He's put it in a book, and he's given us a book, and you can read it. And if you don't know, and if you don't understand, and if you lay awake nights wondering, pondering these imponderable questions, if you don't understand who you are, and if you don't understand why you exist, and if you don't grasp the purpose of life, 
He's explained it to you. He's put it down here in this book. You can read it. And you can look to Jesus. And he'll tell you. You look in the cradle, you see this marvel. You consider his existence and his wisdom. And then you think about his love. Astonishing. His love. Charles Colson Uh, who was once upon a time Richard Nixon's uh, hatchet man. Uh, He was saved by the grace of God and became a useful servant. There was an occasion when he debated publicly uh, Madeleine Murray O'Hare. Perhaps you know her. She was a fanatical proponent of atheism. Colson says, I can testify that she was a nasty and bitter woman. But there's a side to her, as there always is a side to people that the world is not aware of. And that side of her came to the fore when her diaries, at least excerpts from her diaries, were published. And they gave us a different view of this sad woman. We read that in 1959 she wrote, The whole idiotic hopelessness of human relations descends upon me. Tonight I cried and cried, but even then, feeling nothing. In in 1977, she wrote in her diary, I have failed in marriage, motherhood, and as a politician. And then the worst part, the saddest part, the most tragic part for this woman who her entire life was spent denying God's existence and fighting against people like us, There's a phrase that is found a number of times in her diaries. It's this phrase. Somebody, somewhere, love me. How tragic. And you see, you understand that. Because this is a harsh world. This is a cold, brutish, violent world. And people want this. In this world that the poet has called a veil of tears, people want love. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is about, it's about the love of God. The, the cradle is about the love of God. The baby in the manger is about the love of God. What we were singing is about the love of God. The cradle and the cross. He comes because he loves you. He goes to the cross because he loves you. And then you think about the power of God. The power that is just resident there in that cradle. It's power incarnate. Romans 1.16 says that the, the gospel, the gospel all about Jesus, that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Astronomers tell us that our galaxy, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, and our galaxy has 100,000 million stars. 
They also tell us that, as far as we know, there are 100,000 million galaxies. The size of this is impossible for us to understand. Voyager 2, in 1989, reached Neptune and then flew off into deep space. Now, how long before Voyager 2, if it survives, how long before it reaches the closest star to us? How, how long, how many years does it have to fly before it reaches our closest star? Well, it has to travel for 958,000 years. It'll reach the first star, the closest star. And then there's 100,000 million galaxies beyond. Then you go to Genesis, and Moses, who wrote Genesis, says in a rather offhanded way, a little throwaway line, he says, you know, God did this, and God made the earth, and God made man, and he also made the stars. That's the power of our God, and that's the power that somehow has come down and lies in a cradle. That's why we're talking about the wonder of his person. When I was young, I was influenced by a French existentialist named Jean-Paul Sartre. And he said, there's no God. And he said, there's no meaning. And he publicized his views and he pushed it and fools like me read it and were influenced by it. Privately, he said this. Privately, he said, everything in me calls for God. Towards the end of his life, he admitted that we are incurably religious. And we know there's a God. And we know our need of him. I don't know whether he was saved at the end. Don't know. But maybe you're not a Christian. And I'm saying to you, you know, don't you? You know there's a God. And you know you need him. And when this poor man says, everything in me calls for God, I think you understand that. Well, I'm telling you, that God has come. He's come to your world in order that you might be saved. His name is Jesus. I trust in him today. It's the wonder of his person. And then, more quickly, the wonder of his presence It's wonderful to be in the presence of someone who can help you, you know. For much of my adult life, I've had pain in my left knee. And then I I was uh, sitting in a room with a doctor who said to me something like, I I can help you with that. Great. 
Imagine someone says to you, I can help you with everything that ails you. Everything. I mean, everything. I can help you. To be in the presence of someone who can help you. You are in the presence of someone who can help you. We're not singing about someone tonight who just lived in Bethlehem. We're singing about someone and we're talking to someone and I'm speaking to you about someone who's here. You are in the presence of someone who can help you. C.S. Lewis said, to believe that God, at least this God, exists is to believe that you are as a person now, standing in the presence of God as a person, you are no longer faced with an argument which demands your assent, but with a person who demands your confidence. Jesus is God with us. He's not an argument. He's a person. And tonight, he demands your confidence. Because, you see, He's with us to meet our deepest need. He is with us in our deepest need. Why did Jesus come? Well, if you read on in Matthew, our text is in chapter 1. If you keep reading the whole book, do yourself a favor. When you go home, read the Gospels. You know, don't go home and read or watch something like Christmas with the cranks. If you want to waste two hours that you'll never get back again and learn nothing and have your soul die just a little bit, watch that. If you want food for your soul, read this. Why did he come? Well, I won't give you the references, but they're all in Matthew He came to be with the sick to heal them. He came to be with the demon-possessed to liberate them. He came to be with the poor in spirit to bless them. He came to be with the care-ridden to rid them of care. He came to be with the lepers to cleanse them. He came to be with the diseased to cure them. He came to be with the hungry to feed them. He came to be with the handicapped to restore them, and fundamentally, he came to be with the sinners, to save them. And if you didn't recognize yourself in the other phrases, you see yourself in this one. He came for the sinners. He came for the wicked. He came for you. Not to save you. You see, sin is a terrible thing. And sin is our fundamental problem. Sin is ruining your life. And sin's going to destroy your soul. Sin is making a wreck of your time. And sin is making a horror of your eternity. He came to save you 
from that. He is with us to meet our deepest need, which is to be saved from sin. He is with us through our greatest trial. If you're a Christian, you need to know this, you know. He's not just Emmanuel, God with us in the cradle. He's Emmanuel to you. He's, he's God with you in the crises of your life. I don't, I don't know if you reflect on the past year. Were there crises you had to deal with? I suspect so. When you think about 223, what's going to happen? You're going to have to face crises? I think so. We're not spared that. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is always with us. Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. You'll be fine. Why is that? Because I'm with you. 2023, you're a Christian. I don't know what's ahead for you. I don't know what's ahead for me. I know we'll be fine. We'll be okay. Because God is with us. John Wesley, when he was dying, 1791, age of 88, as he lay dying, he's, uh, he's said to have, have sort of raised his arms and somehow God is giving him strength and raised his arms in the air and he cried out twice, the best of all is God is with us. And then somehow he finds the strength and says again, the best of all is God is with us. It inspired somebody to write this hymn. The best of all is God is with us. God will hold and never fail. Keep that truth when storms are raging. God remains, though faith is frail. Best of all is God is with us. Life goes on and needs are met. God is strongest in our weakness. Love renews, will not forget. Best of all is God is with us. Hearts are challenged, strangely warmed. Faith is deepened, courage strengthened, grace received, and hope reformed. Best of all is God is with us in our joy and through our pain till that final acclamation, life is Christ and death is gain. Best of all is God is with us as we scale eternal heights. Love grows stronger, undiminished. Earth grows dim by heaven's lights. You're a Christian, you know. The best of all is that God is with us. So He is uh, he's with us to meet our deepest need, and He is with us through our greatest trial, and He is with us as our fundamental joy. I know you're not a fool, and you want to be happy. People are not stupid. I mean, they... They want to be happy. They don't want to be miserable. You don't want to be miserable. You want to be happy. You want to know joy. What I'm saying to you is that the Bible makes it very clear. You're only, the only one who can give you joy 
I mean, true joy, joy untouched by the world, joy that is lasting and enduring, only Jesus, only the Lord Jesus. Listen to this, Psalm 16 says, you, God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. A true joy, folks, to be found only in Jesus. You see, that's, that's why, I mean, understand this, that's why you're not happy. That's the reason. Augustine said years ago, you're, you've been made for God. There's no rest and no joy and no peace till you find your rest and your joy and your peace in God. See, that explains things. Jesus is our fundamental joy. He's our joy and sorrow. If you're a Christian, you know this. You know that, that, that sorrow is the test of your joy. And you know that this is joy from God when you are faced, and it's unavoidable, but you're faced with that which shatters you, with that which is devastating. And you find that somehow, miraculously, astonishingly, you can rejoice. There's... There's an indestructible joy within. It's because it's from Him. It's because your joy's in Him. And so you understand this hymn. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I climb the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. I mean, you understand that and you live that. He's your joy and sorrow. He's your joy and blessing. Because you're, you're not enticed by the blessings that come. You're not won away from God by the delights that He gives you. Now you are not in love with the gift over the giver. Because you know that, oh, without the giver, the gifts are no delight at all. Your joy, even in the best of times, is in God. And you know what this means. Heaven above is softer blue and earth around is sweeter green and something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs or flow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know as now I know I am his and he is mine. And you see what he's saying? He's saying that all the delights of this world are delightful because I know him. Because the giver is mine. Not just the gifts. He's our joy. And then you know that He's not only our joy in sorrow, and He's not only our joy in blessing, but He's our joy in heaven. You're a Christian, so yeah, you're going to heaven. Maybe this life is horrible for you, but you're going to heaven. Maybe this life is wonderful for you. It's going to seem horrible compared to heaven. You're going to heaven. And what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. 
Jesus himself said in John 14, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I hope you notice that what our Lord Jesus says, when I come back, I'm not just taking you to a place. I'm taking you to myself. When I come back, I'll receive you to myself. You see, the Lord Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is not just a place. It is a place. It's not just a place. Heaven is a person. Heaven is Jesus. And there, in the most profound of ways, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Amazing then. The Bible says, you look at the crib, look at the cradle, look at the child. He is Emmanuel. Now, he's never called Emmanuel again in the rest of the Bible because this word Emmanuel is really a description of his person and who he is to us. He is to us, to those who trust in him, to those who believe in him. He is Emmanuel. This glorious person come to be with us for our good, our temporal and our eternal good. Christian, you are extraordinarily blessed because you know Emmanuel. And my friend, if you're not a Christian, oh my, you're blessed tonight because you have heard about Emmanuel. And tonight he invites you to believe in him for the saving of your soul. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, bless your word to the saving of souls and to the edifying and strengthening of your people. And for Jesus' sake, amen.